Well, we are finishing up today our series called The Other Side. If you've not been with us the last several weeks, it is all about compassion. The idea of you have no idea what could be on the other side of you choosing compassion. And it is a choice. And we've talked a lot about how compassion There's a cost to it. That compassion most certainly is still a choice. So we've been wrestling with the question. We're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan again. We've been looking at that each week. But looking at this idea of how do we truly live that out? How do we live compassion out? What does it look like to live a life of compassion? What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And we kicked something off last week that's going to run for the next several weeks. And this is just one way, and we're going to keep kind of talking about how to live a life of compassion. But one of the ways that you can jump in on living a life of compassion is we are going to be feeding the teachers and staff of every single school in Dawson County between now and their spring break. So over the next several weeks, basically the next month, we will be going to each of the different schools, dropping off breakfast, and we'll be handing them thank you notes and just loving on them any way that we possibly can. So if you're here last week, thank you, thank you, thank you. We got two schools done last Wednesday. We have two more coming up this Wednesday. So here's how you can help. The big place for you to help is I need a bunch of thank you notes. Each week, we're going to drop off not just breakfast, but just a stack of thank you cards. They can be very generic thank you cards. They can be for a specific school or even a specific teacher, but help us just say thank you. One of the most compassionate things we can do is just by saying those two words, thank you. So if you head out in the lobby, look immediately to your left, you'll see a bunch of cards that you can write thank you notes to, drop them in the baskets, and then we'll deliver those to the schools this week as we drop off food. If you want to help serve at the different schools, like literally show up with us, there's a place for you to sign up for that as well, but it's an early morning. I know a lot of schedules that doesn't work. So if everybody would at least write one thank you note, Drop it in the basket. We'll make sure it gets to the schools. And if you're joining us online, email me your thank you note. We'll print it off. We'll make sure that that gets taken care of and gets taken to the schools as well. Have you ever heard the phrase buckle up? You know the phrase buckle up, right? And, and specifically, if you're on an airplane flying and you see the little seatbelt light up, you know that something is about to happen, Right? If you're not on the way to landing, that seatbelt sign goes off. What you're expecting to hear next is a captain to come over the intercom and say, please take your seats. You'll notice that I put the fastened seatbelt sign on because it's about to get bumpy. It's about to get a little turbulent. So I want to make sure that you're safe and I want to make sure that you have a heads up. And the captain's very gracious in that. And so everybody sits down, puts their seatbelt on and they make it through no problem. So this is my disclaimer for you this morning. Buckle up. (laughs) The reason I say that is because what we're going to see in the parable of the Good Samaritan today, the compassion lesson that we're going to see this morning is going to require you to buckle up because it can most certainly get a little bit bumpy. It can most certainly get a little bit rocky. It might knock you off just a little bit. It might push you back just a little bit. It, in my opinion, truly my opinion, I think this aspect of compassion that we're going to see today is the, by far the most difficult aspect of compassion yet. Even though it costs us, and even though it's still a choice, and even when we give compassion, even when we don't feel like it, all those things we've talked about, but what we're going to see today is, in my opinion, the most difficult to truly live out. But on the other side of that, I think it can also be the most powerful, and I think it can be the most impactful. And I think it can truly, through what the Holy Spirit does through you, change lives. I want you to imagine with me for a second what life would be like 
if all you did during the day is carry around this bag. This bag, I kid you not, is a bag of bricks. So not some like, oh, he's like pretending and there's towels in there. No, no, it's a bag of bricks. So I want you to imagine what it would be like to walk through your day carrying a bag full of bricks. Everywhere you go, if you just carry around your bag full of bricks, when you go to work in the morning, you kiss your spouse goodbye, you say, see you later, kids. Oh, wait, don't forget your bag of bricks, honey. You grab your bag of bricks and you go and you throw it in the car. You drive to where you're going, you get a little bit of a break, you have to make sure your back's a little bit better aligned, and then here we go, we're going back into work and get my bag of bricks, and I'm going to carry my bag of bricks around to wherever I go, every single meeting, every single appointment, you're going to need a breather every now and then, but then guess what, you can't go anywhere until you pick up that bag of bricks. By the end of the day, you're going to start carrying this bag of bricks a little bit more like this, and you're going to take a lot more breaks, you're going to have to pick it back up. When you finally come home, you still have your bag of bricks. You welcome your family home, but you don't welcome them so graciously anymore because you're exhausted from your bag of bricks. You kind of unload, but it's time to make dinner, so then you pick up your bag of bricks again and you go and help with dinner, you help with the kids, get everything you need done. Finally, it's the end of the day. You lay down in bed, and there's a phrase that I say, I'm pretty sure every single night, and it's a phrase that you probably say every single night. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Well, of course you're tired. You've been carrying a bag of bricks around all day. <laughs> so I'm tired is a common phrase. We all feel it, and we do a lot throughout our days. There's a lot of reasons that we're tired, a lot of good reasons to be tired. So yes, you carry a bag of bricks around all day. Guess what? You're going to be tired. But let me ask this next question. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? If you truly were carrying a bag of bricks around all day, sure, you're tired and you're exhausted at the end of the day. But then if you ask yourself, was it worth it? Do I, did I accomplish anything? Did I make a difference? Was there impact and meaning was there purpose added to my life because I carried around a bag of bricks? The answer is a resounding what? No. Of course not. Is it worth carrying a bag of bricks around all day, every day? No, absolutely not. That bag of bricks is heavy, and it's pointless, and it's meaningless, and there's no reason we would ever do that. So yes, it's heavy, and yes, we get tired because of it, but it's not worth it. Let me have you think of it in a little bit of a different way. Like I said, we get tired because we do a lot of things. One of my favorite things to do when I come home from work is I come home and my kids are still young enough where they're still at the stage where they just run. As soon as they see me in the driveway, it's like trying not to like run over my kids as I pull into the driveway. As soon as they see me, they just run out. I barely get out of the car and they're just like all on me. Let's play. Let's hang out, daddy. I mean, and it's like, Great, but exhausting at the same time. like, hang on, uh, I got to go drop my bag of bricks off real quick and I'll come back and hang out with you. But as soon as I'm available and I'm around, it's like, daddy, hold me, daddy, carry me. Especially my youngest daughter, Collins. Oh my goodness, I don't think her two legs actually work. Everywhere we go, she's at that stage. I see parents doing this. We're at that stage where it's, daddy. Like, she doesn't have to say anything anymore. Just like, carry me. And you know what the reason? I said, honey, like, can't you walk? You know what she says? My legs hurt. 
And like, she's so cute and adorable. It's like, I mean, that's like not true, but okay. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. So I'll pick her up. And I promise like Becky and I, like, we feel like we carry her everywhere. And my middle son, he loves being on my shoulders. He's too cool to be like cradled like my daughter. So he's like, put me on, my sh- on your shoulders, dad. We went to Kroger yesterday. He's like, dad, put me on your shoulders. I'm like, I cannot put you in. Like, look, we're in a grocery store. Like this is public. He's like, no, no, put me on your shoulders. So we put them on our shoulders, we carry around, we do superheroes in our house a lot, which means I lift them up this way, and we zoom all the way through a house. My oldest, Connor, is eight. It doesn't look like that anymore. It's kind of like one of these, like, yay, like, and there you go. (laughs) His superpower is no longer going to be flying, it's just going to be like being heavy, because they are, they're heavy. They make fun of me when they jump on me, and it like tweaks my back like oh dad you're old and I'm like well you're heavy (laughs) at the end of a day of carrying my kids around and playing superheroes and flying them upstairs and downstairs and carrying my kids on my shoulders I lay in bed you know what I say I'm tired let me ask the second question again was it worth it what's the answer there absolutely I'm convinced that you and I are going to be tired at the end of the day, no matter what. Like, I've just embraced that. I've fought against that for so long. I've just embraced that. We are always going to be tired and exhausted at the end of every day. I don't think that's a bad thing. But I want us to ask that second question. Is what I did today worth it? Like, am I tired and made a difference? Am I so exhausted, but, oh, did something good? Am I tired and did God use me? And that's why I'm so tired. So you can carry a bag of bricks around and be tired and not accomplish anything. You can carry your kids around and be tired and say, wow, that was so worth it. There was so much meaning there. There was so much purpose there. There was so much love there. See, I'm convinced compassion will exhaust you. Compassion will wear you out, which is why we have a Sabbath day. Talk to anybody that serves or volunteers, not just I'm talking church, just like serves and gives of themselves. You're going to hear two things. Oh, it wears me out. Oh, and I love every minute of it. See, compassion has a way of wearing you out and exhausting you and, and, and being so tiresome, yet it fills you at the same time. Carrying around a bag of bricks will not fill you up, but it will exhaust you. Colossians 3 speaks to this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us as followers of Christ and believers, holy and dearly loved, look, clothe yourselves, meaning put something on, meaning you have to carry it around all day. If you have these on you, it's always with you. Clothe yourselves with, and I want you to read this list with me. Say it with me. With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Can we all agree that those things are exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting to be compassionate, to constantly give of yourself for somebody else, to constantly meet needs for other people, to constantly be kind, even when they're not. I still have to say the right thing and I have to hold my tongue. It's exhausting. Humility, putting other people first and taking an interest in them, thinking less of me and more of them. Gentleness requires so much self-control and so much self-restraint. It's tiresome and patience. Let's not even talk about patience. It's tiresome. It's exhausting. He's not done. Verse 13, look, bear with each other. And there's nothing about that that sounds fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just bear with one another. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord 
forgave you. I'm exhausted just talking through it. Compassion will wear you out, yet it can fill you up in a way that nothing else can. So like I said, buckle up. Because I think this is going to be the hardest thing that we wrestle with in, in regards to compassion. But it has the potential to cause so much change. We just sang a song that ended with, Jesus changes everything. And I pray that your heart would be open to allowing him change you first. And see how he might use you in the life change of other people. Because you have no idea what could be on the other side of your compassion. Even at the end of the day when you are exhausted, you have no idea what could be on the other side of you choosing compassion. Like I said, we've been looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan four weeks of nothing but the Good Samaritan, but there's been so much in there to pull out regarding what it means to live a life of compassion, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. What we're going to see this morning, we cannot miss it because the cultural context that happens that we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan is extremely intentional. The story that Jesus tells with the characters he chose to use is extremely important for us to pay attention to. So if you don't know the story, the characters of the parable of the Good Samaritan, you have a Jewish man who is beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And he's very clear, Jesus is very clear that that was a Jewish man. Then you have a Jewish priest, a religious leader. Then you have another Jew, a Jewish Levite, a temple assistant. So, so far we have three Jews, and no, they're not going to walk into a bar, but that's kind of how it feels like it should go. <laughs> you have three Jews, and then we have what we find out is a Samaritan, a Samaritan traveler, and that context cannot be overlooked. Let's go through it, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about that cultural context. Like I said, the story starts out, a Jewish man gets beaten up, left for dead on the side of the road by robbers, by bandits. Then the Jewish priest walks by, sees the Jewish man on the side of the road and says, I don't have anything to do with that. Passes by on the other side, doesn't even stop. Then a Levite, a temple assistant, also a Jew, sees the Jewish man on the side of the road and does the exact same thing as the priest. Passes by on the other side and keeps going. And we pick up the story that Jesus tells in verse 33. Then a, and what's this word? How is it described? You remember, then a despised Samaritan. If you're taking notes, circle it, underline it, highlight it, write it down. At least remember it because we're going to come back to it. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, that's the end of the story. Jesus now looks back at a Jewish man, not part of the story, like real-life Jewish man, who started this whole conversation by asking a question. We'll look at that later. And Jesus looks at him and says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. Verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. You know what's interesting there? Again, we're going to see the cultural context of Jews versus Samaritans. The man that Jesus is talking to is a Jewish man. There is so much hostility between Jews and Samaritans that this man in verse 37 couldn't even say the Samaritan. Did you catch that? The easiest answer for Jesus' question, who is the man that 
showed compassion, that gave mercy? Who was the one that was a neighbor? The easiest answer that all of us would have said is, well, the Samaritan. Here the Jewish man said, the, the one guy. You know, don't make me say his name. Don't make me say who he was. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. In other words, go be like the Samaritan. So why are Jews and Samaritans, why is there so much hostility and animosity there? We could spend a very long time going all the way back in history when you talk about the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms and what happens in the Nehemiah. Like, it's all a thing. And if you're interested in geeking out over that, call me. I would love to have that conversation with you. But I'm going to spare some of you for the next 45 minutes of not going into it all with you. But I'm happy to have the conversation. Bottom line is the Samaritans and the Jews had a major, major disagreement, even over what, the whole, what would be considered the Holy Scriptures. Samaritans don't consider all the Old Testament Testament, like holy and God inspired, whereas the Jews did. Again, I digress. We can talk about it later. Lots of disagreements and a lot of differences. Those differences and those disagreements over generations have caused so much hate, so much animosity, so much hostility that to the point when, when this is being told, when Jesus is telling this story, that the Jews and the Samaritans could not, would not talk to each other. They would not even step into one another's towns. They would go the long way around because, oh, that's where the Samaritans live. I'm not even setting foot in a Samaritan town. They would not speak, look, talk to each other. There was that much generational hate against one another. And Jesus, in a story all about loving your neighbor, chose very intentionally the most extremes he could probably think of. And again, we're not just talking like, oh, the Georgia fans don't like the Alabama fans. We're not talking that. Like, that's nothing compared to, some of you are like, oh, no, you don't know my family. Fair enough. <laughs> Generations of animosity and hostility. And Jesus uses them as an example. Can I just say this? And again, this is, where I, this is why I said buckle up earlier. Don't allow your differences and disagreements to lead to assumptions and judgments. Don't allow your differences and disagreements. Don't, don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with differences and disagreements. God, goodness, God made us different. We don't always see eye to eye. We are going to disagree. So there's nothing wrong with the differences and the disagreements. It's what it leads to. And oftentimes, our differences and our disagreements lead to us making assumptions and judgments. And when that leads to assumptions and judgments, judgments most of the time, we revoke our compassion because of it. See, the normal version of this story that we would have expected, knowing the context of Jews and Samaritans, would have been a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan walks by, sees a Jewish man in need and says, got what you deserved. It's about time something was fair. They've been oppressing the Samaritans for so long that Jewish man finally got what he deserved. God is good. Like that would almost be what the Jews hearing Jesus' story would have expected. That's how the story should have gone. And instead, Jesus says, no, that's the man that had compassion. Please, 
as we wrestle with compassion, don't allow your differences and your disagreements lead to an assumption or a judgment that causes you to pull back your compassion and hold on to your compassion instead of giving it willingly. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this. Let me read through it. You're going to hear very similar to what he's explaining here. Luke chapter 6. You ought to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read a part of it. It says this, and starting in verse 32. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? In other words, what good is that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, well, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get the credit? Do you see the theme here? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Verse 35, here's the point. Love your enemies. Hang on a second. Let me talk about enemies because we always think of like the extreme versions of that. Enemy is somebody that doesn't get along with you. Enemy is somebody that doesn't see eye to eye to you. Enemy is anyone that there's an opposition for. So in this season of your life, your spouse truly might be your enemy. Doesn't mean you hate each other, but it means we're not seeing eye to eye. There's some opposition. There's some tension. There's some friction. There's some conflict. There might be times where you and your kids feel like enemies. You and a boss, you and a neighbor. We could go on and on and on. When there is opposition, I want you to think of enemy in a very broad sense of the word, not they're trying to kill me sense of the word. This is usually where we go. So here Jesus says, no, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly, oh, look at this. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. That's exhausting, isn't it? To love those and to care for those and to be kind to those that continue to oppose you. Don't allow your disagreements and your differences lead to assumptions and judgments that cause you to hold back your compassion. Let me give you two thoughts on how we can be more and more like the Samaritan that loved somebody that had compassion for somebody that was extremely different than him and that most likely disagreed on just about everything with him. Here's the first one. Make your first thought a thought of empathy. Make your very first thought a thought of empathy. Not to go too far into it, empathy is very different than sympathy. Sympathy says, no, I truly like, I've been there. I've experienced that. I feel what you're going through. Empathy, you don't have to have felt it. You don't have to have experienced it, but you can do your best to put yourself in their shoes, if you've ever heard that phrase before. I, I can still walk alongside you. I don't fully understand. I don't totally get it, but I can do my best to see your point of view, to see from your perspective. Make your very first thought a thought of empathy. Now let's have a little bit of fun. We're going to play a quick game. Some of you might have done this before at some point. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen, and I want you to try to figure out what it is. Let's see how close you get. All right, here's the very first one. Think about it. Think about it. Now this is for like, man, if you're my generation growing up, like you should have this one. You should absolutely know what it is. Let's see if you're right. Here it is. Blown up. It is a Game Boy. Not even the color Game Boy, like the original Game Boy. Anybody get it right? Anybody? That's disappointing. Let me give you another shot. All right, second one, second one. All right, here we go. This one's a piece of cake. You should have this one. Got it? All right, zoom out. Of course, you use this probably every single day. You nailed it. Hopefully, I mean, you're, you probably, almost every day, you only see one of these, if not use it on a weekly basis. 
by the looks on your face, I don't think you're catching on. Let me go to one. Let's go to the third one. Third one. We'll give you. Now, some of you, I would understand. Some of you get a pass at this one. I don't expect everybody to get this one, but quite a few of you should have this one. I saw it all the time growing up. I saw my dad have it. Ready? Here it is. Uh, yeah, now some of you, I see these, and I'm like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. But, okay, last one. Last one. You're not, you're not following on. This one. This one, everybody in the room, because like, there's many of you in this room that claim to love this more than life. Like this is, you live for this, you spend money on this, your kids drive you crazy asking for this, like you should have it. Ready for it? Here it is, zoom all the way out. Oreo case, a box of Oreos. Those of you that say you love Oreos, you don't love Oreos unless you can get that picture right. <laughs> Here's the point, right? You can see where we're going. Oftentimes, you see only a small fraction of something, yet what do we do? We try to make assumptions and judgments. We fill in the gaps with our own ideas and our own thoughts. It's based on our own experiences. It's all about us, isn't it? And we don't see the whole picture. If we're willing to zoom out, that's empathy. We see the whole picture as best as we possibly can. Empathy says, I don't understand why you are the way that you are. I don't understand what you're saying and how you're going about it. I don't understand, but let me take a look and see if I can try. Now, here's where we mix up. Please pay attention to this next part. When we come to the other side to look from the other person's perspective, you know what empathy is allowed to say? Huh. I still don't agree with you. You can empathize and still disagree. Empathy says, I'm going to do my best to see from your perspective, not I'm going to try to believe like you believe or see like you see. We have to be willing to recognize, maybe I don't see the whole picture. Maybe I don't know it all. Romans chapter 14 or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14, says this. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Sounds like what Jesus said earlier in Luke chapter 6. Be happy. Here's empathy. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Doesn't mean we are all the same. If you know anything about harmony, it's two different tones. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I love that. Here's the last part. Some of you need to underline this one. And don't think you know it all. You can never have a first empathetic thought if you think I, I know it all. But please don't misunderstand. Being empathetic doesn't mean you're sacrificing your perspective. It doesn't mean you're sacrificing your opinion. It doesn't mean you're sacrificing your belief. You can empathize and still disagree. You can disagree with somebody with all the differences in the world and still walk alongside them. Make your first thought a thought of empathy. That's exactly what the Samaritan did. Had a first thought of empathy. He saw this man and what did he do? He felt compassion. Not a, well, he probably deserved it. Not a, well, he should have made better choices. He shouldn't have been traveling this road by himself. He got what he deserved. Next time he'll learn. Those tend to be our first thoughts though, right? Instead of making and forcing a first thought of empathy. Second thing I want you to pay attention to, focus on the mission more than the issue. Focus on the mission more than the issue. I'm not going to get into all the issues because we're just talking about making the mission more important, but I think we could agree in our world today, there is no shortage of issues that we can fight over and fight for. 
Tons of issues. Pick one. Tons of issues that we can fight over. But the Samaritan paid more attention to the mission. He chose the mission to love others, to love your neighbor as yourself. He chose that mission over any cultural boundaries, any cultural context, any differences, any disagreements. All he did was focus on the mission to love the person in front of him that needed his compassion. Also notice that nowhere in this story did the Samaritan try to change the other person's mind. He didn't like, as he's picking up this poor Jewish man that got beaten, say, hey, so like while we head to the inn here and like you're riding my donkey and I have to walk and I'm taking care of you, let's have a theological discussion on why you don't think Isaiah is really a prophet. Right? No, there's none of that. It's just pure compassion. Not trying to change minds, not trying to change somebody's heart, just loving and having compassion Focus on the mission. Let's, let's make sure we don't miss what the mission is or else this whole thing this morning wasn't worth it. The mission is what we see going back to the very beginning of what started the Good Samaritan story. Here's where it started. Luke chapter 10, before Jesus told the story, here was the scene. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. That would be a Jewish person. To test Jesus by asking him this question. Jesus, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question to ask. Verse 26, Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? What's the mission of life, in other words? Verse 27, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, right. Nailed it. You got it, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We will spend, church, we will spend the rest of our lives trying to do those two things. That's our mission. In that order, to love the Lord your God with everything you are and have, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We will not get it right all the time. Oh, but can we try? Can we, can we move in that direction? Can we work towards it? Not because we think we are going to obtain perfection in that, but because you have no idea what could be on the other side of you choosing compassion. We focus so much on the issue that we want to always be right. Can I just say, a lot of people get hurt in the fight to be right. A lot of people get hurt when you fight to just be right, even if you are right. Do you know you can be right and love somebody that's wrong? You can be wrong and love somebody else that's also wrong? Compassion is not bound by our differences and our disagreements. We make it so. But don't allow your differences and your disagreements lead to assumptions and judgments that cause you to hold back your compassion. The Samaritan had every reason to withhold compassion, yet he gave it. Just as God had given us compassion, we are called to give it to anyone and everyone. So let's dig it a little bit further. If you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been doing this each week. If not, let me catch you up. How do we live a life of compassion? Here's how we do it. We begin to live out what we call the one another's. You find these throughout the New Testament. This is not all of them. It's a good chunk of them. Here's the one another's where you say, how do I love my neighbor as myself? Well, I am to be at peace with one another. I am to live in harmony with one another. We read that earlier today. I'm to serve with one another. And what we've done each week is, well, let's personalize it. It's not just 
Well, yeah, somebody else is supposed to do that. No, I'm supposed to do that. So the next slide is, let's make it real. Let's make it personal. Or I am to do this for someone and with somebody in mind. You begin to put a name in one of those blanks. And just through what we've talked about today, the idea of differences and disagreements, I mean, we could do a bunch of these. We could focus on the stop passing judgment on. We, we talked about bearing with one another out of Colossians chapter 3. We could talk about forgiving one another, but here's what I want us to do because it can be very overwhelming. We're going to focus on one. Here's the one I want us to focus on for the next seven days. You ready? You're going to love me for this one. Third one from the bottom. What's it say? Don't grumble against and a fill in the blank. Don't grumble against. Don't complain about fill in the blank would be another way of saying it. When you get that in your mind, so I've been studying and preparing this for the whole week, you don't realize how much you complain and grumble about other people until you're thinking about it. You guys got your work cut out for you this week. I did mine this last week, so you're up this week. <laughs> don't grumble against one another. Now, it doesn't work to just say, well, just don't grumble against. It's like saying, don't think of a purple elephant. What are you thinking about? Purple elephant. doesn't work. So I got to give you something else to do in its place. So here's what I'm going to tell you. For the next seven days, in order to stop complaining against or stop grumbling against somebody else, we're going to replace it with gratitude. So every time somebody bothers you, an enemy opposes you, there's tension, there's conflict, instead of grumbling against and complaining against, here's the words you're going to say. You ready? Thank you. One of the most humbling words you can say. Thank you. Thank you. Doesn't mean that you're saying thank you just to say it, like you need to mean it. Somebody gives you some feedback that you did not ask for. Thank you. Your boss gives you an assignment that seems unbelievably unrealistic. Thank you. Your kids drive you nuts because they always want to be carried and their legs apparently don't work. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to love on you before you get too old and don't want me to carry you. Your spouse and you have a disagreement. Thank you for your transparency. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's going to be hard. You're going to choke a lot this week. <laughs> you have a lot to be thankful for. So be thankful. Because you have no idea what could be on the other side of that compassion. You know what we are called in God's eyes? We're called children of God, right? You know why we're called children of God? because of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. One more question. Do you know what we were called before Jesus' sacrifice? I'll tell you. Romans chapter five. But God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not once we got our life all put together, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have been made right because of Jesus' sacrifice in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his, and I want you to say this word with me because it's hard to say, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son.
We were enemies of God before the cross. But while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for you and for me. I can think of no greater love and compassion. And it's that compassion that we give others, which is why we can love our enemies. We're going to take communion together. Hopefully you got it when you came in. If not, we'll have some guest service people available to pass them out at home if you want to get your elements ready. Communion is a opportunity for us to say those two words that you're going to be saying a lot this week. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving me grace and forgiveness when I didn't deserve it or earn it. Thank you for giving me life when I was living in death. Thank you for giving me the hope of eternal life. Communion is a time to remember what he did for us and for us to say thank you. The cracker represents Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. The juice represents his blood that was shed and poured out for us. His sacrifice, his love, his compassion gives us life and makes us whole. In this time, I'm going to pray and then I'll give you an opportunity to spend a moment between you and the Lord to say thank you for all that he's done. Jesus, thank you so much for the love that you have shown us, for the love you have poured out on us. Thank you for the compassion that you give an enemy like me. In this moment, may we reflect on you and your sacrifice. And may through your Holy Spirit, may you move us to live a life like you have shown us. To show compassion the way that we've received it. To show love the way that we have been given it to give grace the way that we have received it. Help us to be more like you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.